You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve Marici. Uh, one of the uh, senior evangelists here in the coastal Los Angeles region, obviously here in the South Bay Church. And I'm really excited. We're kicking off a new series over the next three weeks here. Uh, first of the first portion of this is entitled The Vanishing. And um, I, I'm really excited about this. I think it's quite a production, but I uh, get, get to introduce to you today a uh, short film, which will be premiering here, uh, that has received the nominations for Best Short Film, Best Director, and Best Actor in the International Christian Film Festival for 2016. So we'll have to see how that plays out here uh, as we move further into the year. But uh, kind of exciting to be a part of this. Uh, Mike Tolliver's son, and I forget the other gentleman that... Uh, was with them. Actually, this is their production. They put this thing together themselves, and uh, I think you'll be able to judge that yourselves, but I think it's an incredible little short. On that note, just kind of transitioning into things today, have any of you ever been in a position where you've been duped by a friend, classmate, neighbor, family member? Somebody has scammed you. You know, I, I must be a little naive because I can probably state that it's happened, I can, I can think of five major situations right off the top of my head, uh, not to mention all the little ones that some of you suck me into when it comes to uh, my, my naivete. Um, but this one in particular, I was kind of thinking through this as I was working on the message the last week, and years ago, I don't even think my wife knows about this one. It's not that kind of an OO. <laughs> What's up with you guys? <laughs> we automatically go to the worst place we can go, right? Um, it was a situation where a buddy of mine, uh, he and I had decided we were going to open a gym. And uh, spent a lot of time into it. I, I did a demographic study, and back then it's a little bit different than you do today. It's a matter of microfish and newspapers and, you know, things of that nature. You just couldn't go on the net and uh, pull up the information. But we uh, came up with a logo, we landed on a location, started negotiating with a, uh, uh, one of the, well, it was a major supermarket that had gone out, and uh, my buddy ran into this guy that was going to help facilitate the whole process. And wasn't a lot of money by today's standards, but we needed $2,500 for him to help us with the contracts and the legal stuff that was involved, and uh, so I came up with 1000 bucks. he came up with 1500 uh, to me, back then, based on what our minimum wage then was, and I'm not even going there, um, it was a lot of money. It'd be probably like ten dollars to $20,000 for me today, which, I don't know about you, uh, I'd have a hard time just kind of kissing that goodbye. So I, I did happen to have a friend who was on the West Covina Police Force. Now, mind you, money was tendered, phone calls stopped being returned, and uh, it was very obvious to us that we'd been scanned by this guy. Well, a buddy of mine, the, the cop, we did have a license plate number, and my friend and I showed up, and this was before I was a Christian. I was thinking of all kinds of things that I was going to do to this guy when I found him, and we did find him. Um, he was uh, in Azusa. The guy's name was Conrad. I, you know, I don't know if there's, that was a play on things, Conrad. But... Uh, <laughs> I was all set to do some damage, and we roll up in front of the place, and he's out there playing with his grandkids. We, we did exchange a few words, and I, 
actually control myself pretty well. It must have been because of the grandkids, because there were a lot worse things I was thinking about saying and doing. But the long and the short of it is, when you get scammed, how do you feel? Angry, stupid. I mean, is it something you get excited about? Well, maybe when it comes to what you would like to do to the individual that scams you. But uh, when it got exposed, I mean, for me, it was shocking. He's like, really? This guy is, I mean, that's hard-earned money. He's willing to do that. And he's a grandfather. What's up with this? Why would anyone cling to lies? Why not just be real? Why not just be yourself? Earn the money that you were given. You know, and the truth is that we're all tempted in this way. We live in a world of insecurity. Uh, Henry talked about it earlier today in his prayer. I mean, we never know what's going to be coming our way. That's one of the reasons I'm grateful that I'm a Christian and that it gives me that foundation and that security knowing that whatever whatever the case may be, it doesn't really matter because when it comes to eternity, I've got a lock on that because of the grace of Jesus Christ that's been extended to me undeservingly so. But that's how awesome our God is. Secrets, hidden agendas. Got a couple people I'd like you to meet this morning. First one is Ferdinand Damara. He's known as the great imposter, masqueraded as a monk, prison warden, hospital orderly, joined the army in 1941, faked his suicide, borrowed a friend's name, became a psychologist, served 18 months in prison. Then from there, he faked his way to be a civil engineer. Sheriff's deputy, lawyer, and teacher. Served another six months in prison. Befriended Dr. Joseph Sire, then stole his name and joined the Canadian Navy as an American doctor. His ship sailed to Korea during the Korean War. He was called to do surgeries, and don't ask me how, but at least some of them were pulled off successfully. Then the mother of the real doctor, sir, read about it, reported him in 1960. He inspired the 1960 film, The Great Imposter, starring Tony Curtis. He died in 1982 as a Baptist minister. (laughs) Full life. Now, here's a few people you may be a little bit more familiar with. Guy up there in the top left, anybody know him? Bernie Madoff. Again, kind of an interesting play. <laughs> he made off with their money. But he claimed to be an honest businessman. And this guy was the operator of the largest Ponzi scheme in U.S. history, somewhere in the realm of $18 billion. And you know, it's just amazing. The guy was successful. He had money. But it shows you what greed can do. It can show you what not being real can do. The need to impress, to take things above. I mean, we live in this day and age of social media where it's all about making ourselves look better than we really are. I'm not saying that we do, but it can be something we slip into. You know, think about some of your posts sometimes. It's scary. And what was really sad is where this led. He pled guilty to 11 federal felonies and received the maximum sentence of 150 years in federal penitentiary. Bernie's son Andrew died in September 2002, blaming his cancer relapse on the stress and the shame he suffered because of what his dad did. His brother Mark hung himself in 2010 on the two-year anniversary of his dad's arrest. And then Bernie's closing words here, in a a, uh, a newspaper reporter had gone to just kind of interview him, and I, I guess there's a book that's being worked on and that kind of thing, but he says, 
As difficult it is for me to live with the pain I've inflicted on so many, there is nothing to compare with the degree of pain I endure with the loss of my sons, Mark and Andy, made off-road. I live with the knowledge that they never forgave me for betraying their love and trust. I couldn't imagine that with my own kids. But this is where we can go when we hide, when we're not real, when we're not vulnerable, when we don't have people in our life, but most importantly, Jesus Christ. You know, we've got a few others up there. Rachel Dozel, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, she was the president of the Spokane branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. Another thing that came out was that she's not black. In June 2015, following Dozel's allegations that she was the victim of hate crimes, her parents, who are Caucasian, came forward to say that she was white and she was trying to pass as black. Dozel defended herself by saying that she identified as an African-American woman and that her racial identity is not based on biology or ancestry, all before eventually admitting that she was born white. Glad she finally came around to that conclusion. I mean, some of this stuff, you can't make it up, right? I mean, who would ever think somebody could pull something like that off? It's just sad. Brian Williams, we're familiar with him. Any, any Fallon fans out there? I, I love what, you know, they used to take his, uh, you know, little sound bites, and they'd put together these uh, slow jams. Brian Williams on Jimmy Fallon. You know, we, we know, well, most of you may be aware of what he claimed when it came to 2003 when he was covering the Iraq war. He was in a copter that was shot down, and the long and short of it is he wasn't. He, he uh, apologized, saying he misremembered. <laughs> I wanted to take the time to look that up, and I totally sketched it. Can say, is that an actual word? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just misremembered. <laughs> and as a result, he was suspended without pay for six months. After the internal investigation took place, he eventually lost his anchor seat to Lester Holt. Lance Armstrong, you know, just another situation. And what's so sad about this is it's a guy that did so much for the sport of road bike racing. But then you look at the whole Armstrong Foundation. Thousands upon thousands of people that were, were uh, helped through monies that were raised for cancer research. The, Life, the uh, Live Strong Foundation collapsed, and then he's been permanently banned from cycling. And then, you know, then you got the Germans, um, specifically VW. I'm not referring to sales of gluten-free schnitzel here, okay? Again, it's just, it's just wild I mean, to have software engineers design a software that knows when your car's computer has been plugged in to be analyzed for emissions that realize it's being probed and sends back bogus information once it's realized that somebody's checking out what's going on and that the emissions of these cars was 40 times the allowable rate. It blows my mind. And they're still not sure whether or not VW is going to recover from this. This covers Audi and there's another branch that they're involved with as well. Thinking that you can, you know, using technology now to pull things. I mean, I'm thinking, after that one, I'm like, how many other things are we being scammed on? Why do people lie? We lie to avoid punishment, to get a reward, to enhance our ego, to embellish stories so that we can be respected and liked. I mean, that was me in 
elementary school and junior high school. I remember years ago, yeah, this Fess Parker lunch pail. Actually, it was Daniel Boone. Fess Parker was the guy. And, you know, it came with the, the trusty little Daniel Boone thermos. And, you know, you could send in and get the coonskin cap. And, and they also had an entry that if you, you know, bought the thing and entered it and proof of whatever, that you would be able to do a walk-on on one of their episodes. Well, you know, I mean, it's like, I didn't know how many of my friends watched the show. You didn't have DVRs back then, so you couldn't record something to prove it one way or the other. I remember telling people that, you know, I won that contest. <laughs> Just, you know, why? I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to, I wanted to belong. I wanted to be a part of something. You know, just, you know, that cool factor, right? So what are some of the other reasons? We're lonely, and we hope to impress people. And this is one of the things I love so much about God is God doesn't care how jacked up I am, what a mess that I was and am and can be. As Jacqueline will attest to, I mess up from time to time. But you know what? God loves me regardless. I love the fact that God loves me unconditionally. He knows I'm a mess, but that's why he sent Jesus. And that's why I made Jesus Christ Lord of my life. And through the baptism that I received after studying the Bible, understanding what it meant to walk in the darkness because of my sin. In Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, it talks about how we're separated from God because of those types of decisions, because of walking that way. But because of Jesus' blood, now God can hear me. Now God is engaged with me. Now his hand's there to pull me up when I need it because my sins were washed away in the waters of baptism. That's the amazing impact of being baptized into Christ, walking in the light, reading God's word, getting open about our lives, and then with that, getting baptized. We experience forgiveness, gratitude, relationships, joy, connection where there may not have been a whole lot. For me, on an emotional level, and it's, you know, I've been a Christian now since 1990. For some of you, that's a long time. For others, not so much. But it's amazing how my life has changed and how I continue to grow emotionally and mature in my relationship with God and other people. Satan is waiting for us. You know, it's terminology that people scoff at today. And he loves it. He's not a whole household name. How many of you talk about Satan at home on a weekly basis? He loves it. Some of you do. That's awesome. But that's my point. What an incredible ruse. Talk about the ultimate scammer. He's got us duped. Totally has us duped. Sin entangles. Satan, he returns with temptations in our life that are as old as dirt. He knows which knobs to turn, which buttons to push, and sometimes we get snagged by them, even as Christians. Adultery, immorality, porn, addiction, drugs, tobacco. From conversation to flirting, to a ride home, to coffee, to sexual morality. It entangles us. 2 Peter 2, verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better off for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. You know, you can, you can read this one of two ways. This could be incredible in that if we adhere to what we learned at first, what do we have waiting for us? Heaven, people. <laughs> That's something else we probably need to talk a little bit more about on our, in, our, in the home, right? Over meals, wherever we are interacting with one another. But it lays it on out here. If we ignore that, if we lose sight of that, what that means, what that looks like. We wake up one day to realize we're living a lie. And that's how we feel. So Satan slips your car in reverse and you're back in the ditch. Genesis 3 verse 8 says, After Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. This is the pattern. Sin and hide. God had come after them. And with, with that engagement, after he finds them, then what takes place? Blame shifting. And I think this is one of the things that ails this country more than anything today is anybody really being able to take a stand and take personal responsibility for their actions. And this is what I love about the church. If we're in those kinds of relationships, whether we want to or not, someone usually will bring it to our attention and help us engage and embrace the humility that's necessary for us to take responsibility. You know, what was the interaction with Adam and Eve and God? (laughs) She did it. He did it. Blame shifting. No one wanted to own it. No one wanted to get help. You know, we think through the Bible, David in the Old Testament. If he had just stayed connected, if he had just stayed involved relationally, if he had done what kings were supposed to do. We know that in the Bible it talks about at that point in time when kings were supposed to be at war. Where was he? Hanging out on the roof. Little voyeur action. What did it do? It took him down, destroyed his family. Ananias and Sapphira. A couple differences here. David took responsibility when he was confronted. Ananias and Sapphira, not so much. You know, we're tempted to sin. We're tempted to cover it up. And when we hide our sin, we begin to lose our connection to Jesus, to God, to brothers, to one another, to sisters. It all starts to vanish. We come to church feeling like a lie. That we're living out a lie. All the things that encouraged us, that gave us hope, fade away. They vanish. Close to honest talks with disciples go away. Bible study, prayer, worship, fellowship. We lose hope that we can change. Because we're not doing what we did at first. Things we love begin to vanish. Friendships, personal time in the Bible gets stale. Our own lives vanish in front of us as our lives steal what is precious. Before we need it, before we even know it, we decide to simply take some time off or maybe leave God completely. You know, some, some of you maybe study the Bible, never gotten into the boat for fear of being exposed. If you're in the boat or not, then today is something that's for you personally. For various reasons, some of us, some of the time, put on a mask to cover up our true selves. Read with me here in Hebrews 3, verse 12. An admonishment from the author of Hebrews. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If we don't stay engaged, what happens to our hearts? They get hard. 
It takes us a direction none of us want to go, but the reality of it is, if we don't stay engaged with God, the Word, and each other, that's exactly what happens. We start to drift. We're not willing to be open about what's really going on in our lives. Sin hardens our heart. We've got to get it out in the open. Ananias and Sapphira, what was their thing? Not, not a whole lot different from all the people we saw up on the screen there earlier. They wanted to impress everyone in Jerusalem. And in Acts 5, we have Barnabas who sold some land, and he gave it all to the apostles. Now, they sold their land too, but what did they do? They lied. Verse 3. How did God view this? Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You know, I have some of the thoughts that being a liar, being someone that has that issue, struggling with that, I could just kind of run out through my own head what some of the things might be going on here. Well, Peter, I didn't lie to you. What's the big deal? No, when you lie to the church of God, you lie to God. Verse 4. This is what he lays out here. He says, you've not lied to men, but to God. You know, it's interesting. Psychologists say that you can feel people, fool people for a while. They actually weigh in. A number of different studies say that and this is, I tend to be in this, this side of the boat when it comes to buying into stuff. That you can fool people for about 54% of the time. What is the price of deception? Where does that lead? What does that do? Well, I know for me, various times in my life, it's a burden. It's hurtful. It's hard to deal with. And it's just you keep digging deeper. The longer you go, there's this progression. There's more lies that you tell. Compromise your character, your integrity. You start making more and more compromises. Sin made me miserable. Sin makes us miserable. Broken, ruined friendships. Taking years to restore trust. Robbed of joy. Things that you love vanishing from your life. Right now, uh, what I'd like us to do is to watch this movie vanish, and I'll come back to you with some additional thoughts.
Honey, where's the remote? Honey, where is everything? Abigail! Where's my phone? Yeah. Yeah, babe. Carolyn? What's wrong, love? Why is Mommy crying? I'm not sure. I don't know. Did I do something wrong? No. You didn't do anything wrong, sweetheart. You're fine. Son, is everything... Is everything okay? Matthew, is not that... stupid, Dad. I knew you struggled, but really, how could you take it that far? Matthew, whatever it is, I'll... You I'll... know what it is! Abigail? Abigail? What's wrong with you? Would you calm down? 
Whatever it is that you think happened. First I ignored the websites that you went to. And I pretended not to find your videos that you downloaded. You said that you would change. You said things would be different. Jeez, you know what, Abigail? Can't you just let it go? And then you started going on long business trips. So I did some digging. Where did you get my phone? I've read every single text, Jack. Abigail. Just listen. No. You listen. I don't think I can take this anymore. I was going to tell you. I was going to tell you about her. Everything. Come clean. I just didn't know how. so much and actually spent some time with your daughter. I'm not stupid, Dad. I've read every single day. In text. sickness and in health. Until death do you part. I do. What's going on here? Are you doing this? Give me back my family. This was never the plan. Wait, 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 look, please. This wasn't my fault. You're almost out of time. Listen to me. If Abigail hadn't... This is not about Abigail. 
Please. I've lost everything. My family's gone. You're not the victim, Jack. You could have gotten help. I've tried to change before. I'm not strong enough. I am strong enough. You've lost so much already. I need time. <laughs> Please just give me some time. Jack, you are beginning to lose your very self. sobering <laughs> Satan is all in when it comes to wanting to destroy to wreck our lives you know as you sit here this morning um, you may identify with Abigail some of you may identify with the kids some of you may identify with Jack things awesome about Jack is it didn't end the way that it was going I can relate to Jack, both before I became a Christian and as a Christian. It's amazing the stories that we tell ourselves, how manipulative we can be, how defensive we can be, without even really thinking about what's at stake. You know, as we, we sit here this morning, just keep in mind, Jack humbled out. He took responsibility. He sought help. Now, he didn't need to go down that road, but that's neither here nor there. He did. And the outcome is one that can be positive. You know, as we sit here this morning, let's make sure that we take this opportunity to follow Jack's example. You know, the need to reach out and make sure that we're taking Jesus' hand. Who does this apply to? And really understanding that none of us need to go it alone. You be Christians, those of you here today that are currently in sin. And maybe some of you that aren't quite sure about this whole Christ thing yet, don't have it figured out, really aren't sure what to do, who to turn to. But I think inherently we all know deep down in there's this need to confess. I mean, how many times do we see situations in the world where a spouse has been immoral or there's something along those lines? Maybe it's a gambling debt, whatever it may be, and they come forward with it. And the sense of relief that's involved. Maybe not so much for the individuals that are on the receiving end of it, but I think there's this innate need for us to be real, to be open, to confess what's going on in our lives because it's crushing. 
It's burdensome carrying it around, right? Maybe a matter of being a more mature Christian who stopped being open, stopped getting with like-minded people, like-minded friends who are trying to help. Each was trying to help each other stay on the right path, right? Might be confused about proper priorities in life right now. So we may be on the verge of falling, straying. And the, the reality of it is, when preachers talk about sin, how do we on the receiving end feel about it? Dude, that guy's a buzzkill, man. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is this love guy. He's such an awesome guy. He's such a neat guy. Why is this guy talking about Satan? I want to hear about Jesus. Well, the reality of it is there's both. And which one are we walking closest with? There is no middle lane. It's a narrow path. We're either walking it with Jesus or we're on the wide path and we're walking it with Satan. We can all do this. Truth is, some days it's hard. How many of you have had those hard days where it hurts? <laughs> okay, you guys can relate. You know, maybe where you're feeling like you want to quit. And here's the, the reality. When it comes to the hard days, I can't sugarcoat it. I'd be a liar to say that there weren't times over my walk since 1990 where I've just really thought about, you know, it'd be a lot easier just to, just to quit. Walk away from the marriage. Walk away from the kids. Walk away from this. Because it's hard sometimes. But that's Satan's lie. He wants us to believe that. He wants us back. This is the reality of things. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. It says, because we know Satan's plan, we are not unaware of his schemes. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, if you haven't seen The Ghost in the Darkness, rent it. It's a great overview as to who Satan is. This is a true story about a couple lions that were hunters, humans for trophies. It gives you an idea of what Satan wants to do. It's very sobering. Drunkenness, sexual morality, pornography, hatred, violence, and this need to keep it all in. Hopefully, I've got your attention this morning. What does it take to step into the light? Number one, you need to admit it. You need to admit where you're at. Psalm 36, verse 1 says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. And here's the thing. We're not, we're not going to be able to remember, recount, or confess every single sin. I can't remember them all. And there's weirdness involved with it. This isn't normal. Some of us have been hiding for years. We've done a good job of that. There's this thing when you're a kid, hide and seek. It can carry over into adulthood. It's called battleship discipling. You know, we managed to, F-19, you did that, nope. F-12, nope. E-10, nope. P-37, oh, you got me. It's not inherent for us to be real or open about where we're at. It feels weird. But here's something. Studies show people don't feel forgiven 
until they talk to someone. You think maybe God wired us that way? They feel this need to go to others for forgiveness first. Some major denominations have embraced that. It's not biblical, but there is this inherent need we have as people. But sometimes sin gets a grip on us, and we need help. And that moment, like we saw with Jack, may determine your eternity. Will you step into the light, or are you going to stay in the dark? And what it gets down to is begin with naming the sin. Be real about what it is that's going on. Stop the excuses and the denial. Take responsibility and own it. That was one of the most difficult things for me. You know, some of you heard me share about it when I was in Orange County. It was a hard transition from a group of people that I had grown up with as a Christian, that I loved, moving into another ministry. See, I'm, I'm spinning it right now. I'm not even aware of it. The bottom line was, I drifted away from God. I was deceitful. I lied to my wife. I lied to my kids. And I, I even tried to manipulate that situation when we were put on sabbatical and were told that, you know, you may not ever be in the ministry again. And I remember looking to my wife and saying to her, are you happy? Because she made sure that I got, I got the help that I needed and that I was so unaware of that and what I needed at that time. Thank you, babe. Need to confess it. Psalm 32, verse 3. Before I confessed my sins, my bones felt limp, and I groaned all day long. Night and day your hand weighed heavily on me, and my strength was gone as in the summer heat. So I confessed my sins, and I told them all to you. I said, I'll tell the Lord each one of my sins. Then you forgave me and took away my guilt. Confession to God brings healing. Feelings of being physically weighed down by guilt are real. I mean, there's, there's medical studies that show what kind of, what the implications of our guilt on our bodies. It destroys our immune systems. It messes with our endocrine system. There's all these things that happen because of guilt. And this is what David was feeling when he wrote this. You know, sometimes we try the partial confession. Eh, put a little bit of truth out there. You know, vague words, no real detail. And more often than not, well, okay, bro, sis, just you need to stop. Psychology Today, January 2015, says the partial confession actually makes the confessor feel worse than no confession at all. Bottom line, I think we can figure that one out. Confession to others can help us, right? It can help us feel better. It can help us work through things. Well, who can help us? 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Scripture calls us to confess our sins to one another. You don't need me as a minister. You don't need a priest. It's real clear here. We just need to have friendships, relationships where we can be real with one another. And sometimes it's going to hurt. That's a reality. It requires courage. But, and you know, with that, there may even be consequences. You might have to apologize. You may need to take some responsibility. But it's so worth it. How many of you in this group 
sat down with somebody, spent some time reading the Bible, came to an understanding of what sin is, how it separated you from God, made the decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, and in that process got open about your sin, confessed your sins. How many of you here have done that? Take a look around. How many of you can think back to that point in time that you were baptized and the joy that you felt knowing that that guilt was gone and you were clean before God? What does God want? Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, this you will not despise. Sacrifice we offer needs to be broken, a broken spirit, not lying, blame-shifting excuses or cover-up, rather honesty, humility, and openness. You know, we have a uh, series that will be handed out. We're, we're going to be sending it out on CCB. The first week will be available on CCB later today. We have some hard copies for those of you that uh, may not have uh, computer access or email, whatever the case may be there, but we'll have those for you if you don't have the ability to pull it up on the computer. But it's called 21 Days of Victory. And what it begins with is confession to self, to God, and to others. Here's some specifics. If you're on the receiving end of a confession... Ask questions to understand. Be respectful. Listen. Never gossip. Honor confidentiality. Help the individual that's getting real with you, being open with you, get the help they need. Continue to pray for them. Let's acknowledge something here. The need to be respectful versus being a gossip. Keep the circle small, the individuals that you talk to. You know, when confessing a huge, painful sin that impacts others, immorality, infidelity, you've got to take action immediately. Get people involved. Don't try and go it on your own. We've got some incredible Christian marriage counselors within our church. Julie Barber in Orange County, Michael Newman, David Bruce in, our, in the uh, West Side in Turning Point. Don't think about it. Just go. Get help. Tell someone today, that movie that we saw in church, that's about me. Go to a mature Christian. Get real about where things are at. We have elders. We have staff. Just connect on that level. You know, it's kind of like a torn ACL. What's the condition of the knee after the ACL is restored? Is the knee not stronger? It's the same thing when it comes to being open, getting real, and getting help with sin. Maybe it's been years since you've had quiet times. Maybe it's been years since you've been able to feel like you could trust God. His way is right. He wants to restore integrity and wholeness to your life, relationships and marriage. And as we go out, our communities. What a, kind of a final thing here when it comes to confession. You, can, you cannot control if you confess. You can only control when you confess. Every sin will be brought out at Judgment Day. And Satan has a great joy in trying to bus drive you. Things will not remain hidden. They will be exposed. So much better if you speak up now. So we need to admit to self where we're at. We need to confess to God and others. And then finally, we need courage. It takes courage to confess. We see this in the Bible. Saw it with David, Ezra, Paul. In Mark 1, verse 5, public confession. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. 
You know, we see the courage of confession in Ephesus in Acts 19 when Paul was preaching. In Acts 19, verse 18. It says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had burned, who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Open confession. And give you a perspective, silver drachma, about 65, or excuse me, about 65 cents. Those scrolls were worth about $35,000. We can see that their courage helped them to confess and become Christians. Their confession took courage. Obviously, it takes courage to confess. How will my spouse react if I confess? What will people think? Get advice. Get help. You don't have to go it alone. That's one of the biggest mistakes that we make as humans, feeling like we have to do it on our own or we got the answers on our own. So we have the Proverbs, folly versus advice. For many of us, it's the only way out of the jail that we've created by not being real, by not being open. The truth is there are many of us living here today in prison with paper walls. What do I mean by that? You can walk out anytime you like. You know I'm right. You hate living with the guilt. You just need a little courage. I want to show you a guy by the name of William Hewitt. He was in prison, and he just walked out. His brother came to visit him and gave, his, gave him his jacket, and kind of take a look at him here. Okay, uh, up at the top by the star, that's William in his brother's jacket. That's him going through the metal detector. That's him walking outside. That's him running outside. <laughs> Dropped the jacket and made it to the woods. And here's, the, here's the video footage of the same thing. It's coming out at the top right. Dun, 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 Uh, what? Who, 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 what? <laughs> he, that boy, he done gone. <laughs> Hopefully we can end it here on a little bit more of a humorous note, but guys, here's the reality behind it. That guy just walked out. You can just walk out as well. God bless. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.